This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Everybody, Lane with the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast. I got another superstar to share with you guys. His name is Tarl Yarber. How are you doing, Tarl? Hey, Lane. Thanks for having me on. So you are the first person to actually fill out the questionnaire and send it to me. So you <laughs> are actually funny. one who follows directions. You made, you made it sound like that, like I had to do it or else we couldn't even talk. So I immediately filled it out with great enthusiasm. Kind of like thing that people do to find virtual assistants. You give them these really weird instructions and the find a fax machine because no one has fax machines and you see if they jump through the hoops and do exactly what you ask. So you, uh, you're hired. <laughs> are we, are we going to tell anybody that, uh, I was filling it out like literally five minutes before you, we were going to do this podcast? <laughs> no, it, this is a results only oh, okay. thing. Just... So you produced. <laughs> before we get going, I'd like to congratulate you and Grace for getting married. Yeah. Thank you. It's, uh, I mean, her and I've been together for a little while, but we definitely just needed to finally get married and it was probably the fantastic decision that we're Really, really excited about. So we'll dive into these questions if you're ready. Yeah, let's do it. Tarl, how much simple passive cash flow are you making today and how are you doing it? Well, we mainly focus in real estate for purposes of our business. We're kind of on the side of extreme active income on the business of flips. I mean, we do a lot of flips. So we've only recently been switching over to passive income and focusing quite heavily actually on acquiring rentals. Uh, we haven't done anywhere near as many as we'd like just because our area and our market has a tremendous amount of opportunities for flipping houses here in real estate. Uh, so we keep buying a lot of those. But in the last, I'd say four or five months since we've been focused, actually five months since we've been focusing on rentals, switching our focus to rentals. We're definitely not focusing on it, but uh, switching our focus over. We actually have two rentals that are actually already rented out. We both bought both of them as flips and then instead fixed them all up completely and then put tenants in them and then I refied out. Those two combined net us about twelve thirty five a month in passive income. Like that's full after all expenses. So that's net income. We have another one I'm working on in rehab right now that should net us about four fifteen a month once we're all done with it. And then we have a fourplex under contract that I'm evaluating this week. And if all the numbers look like it should, I mean all the rehab looks pretty easy to me with what we can do there. And based on the rents, we can probably net about sixteen twenty-five a month once uh, once we kick everybody out, fix the place up, and re-rent it for what it's worth. So that should put us close to, I don't know, about $3,200 a month, hopefully in the next couple months, on top of any other rentals we get. Most of our passive income is actually more just derived from how we do our flips in a very inactive way, meaning that we have a lot of systems that allow me to touch my properties and like we just flipped a house that I probably only got me about six hours into personally, even though that took three to four months to go from start to finish. But I personally only have maybe six hours into it. So that's kind of what I've focused on over the years. You're, I think you're being a little modest here. Let us know what kind of volumes you're doing on these flips. Uh, <laughs> so uh, last year we did 38. Uh, over the last two years, uh, we've done probably over 25 million in single family homes, rough numbers. I mean, we're also in Seattle. So some of those homes are a million dollars, but most of them are about 250 to $350,000. And so it just depends on like where we were, whether we're in Pierce County or King County. And we started buying in Portland as well. All our houses right now, we currently have, I think we're down to nine active rehabs. We just sold a bunch. And, but at any given time, we have probably about 15, maybe 12, 12 to 15 going on. 
uh, over the last two and a half years, roughly. Yeah, so right now we're at ninth, but last I counted. <laughs> so we're a little low, but we're that's just because we had a whole bunch of big projects, and now we're looking to buy some more. I see that you're moving some of the cash flow. You know, you're trying to build up that category up. But hey, you're good at this this active real estate stuff. So I mean, I don't see any reason why to transfer over. Well, it's really more of a you can't work forever. So with flipping, it's a full time job. So I just sold a house in rent, and I got maybe six hours into it total, like I said, and I'll never make a penny off that house ever again. Right. So once it's sold, it's sold forever versus, you know, this we just refinanced. Uh, so we do the, what's called the Burr method, buy it, rehab it, rent it, refinance it. And that one that is a little two bedroom, one bath Tacoma house we just did. And it's cash flowing almost about six twenty five a month, roughly. That house is going to keep paying us forever. I mean, like it's not there's no reason for us to ever sell it. We have maybe only $7,000 into the property cash out of pot. That's the only money I got into it. So why not keep properties like that forever, build up equity and so forth? So it's a little bit nicer thinking that way versus if I would have sold that thing, we would have made maybe about 30 grand on it and maybe about 35 just because it's a crappy Tacoma house. But, but I'll never make that again that I got to pay federal income tax. <laughs> so it's versus passive tax. Pick the good ones to hold and sell the rest. Exactly. That's what we're focused on. We're trying to switch over. I don't want to work forever. That's all. Right. I've been meeting a lot of these guys who write books and have, they create apps or they're computer developers and a lot of them have passive income, but it's really not passive. You know, it's not going to last forever. Like you said, they still have to work and innovate the next idea, but they all find that rental real estate is where we all, the funnel seems to always lead to rental real estate. Yeah. I mean, especially like right now, who knows what the market's going to do? The market could be fantastic for another two, three, four, five, ten years for all we know, but likelihood of that happening is probably not the case. With flipping, eventually, in the long run, you can get caught with your pants down if you're not prepared effectively for it versus if you have you know, rentals and passive income. If you bought them correctly, even if the market drops for a little while, you can still keep those properties cash flowing if you did it right and you have good tenants in place and you're not over leveraged or anything along those lines, then long term, it's way better than flipping. Next question here is uh, the Han Solo moment. So as you know, Han Solo and his buddy Chewbacca from Star Wars were cruising the galaxy as live smugglers, but then they crossed paths with Luke and Leia and took a pivot point. Describe a time in your life that you took a pivot point and what kind of resistance was the catalyst for that change? The most extreme change that happened in my life was roughly 11 years ago. Maybe it's actually going on 12 years. I was 20 years old and uh, I was obsessed with this guy, Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, he wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm sure some of your listeners have heard of him. He was going to be speaking at a real estate wealth expo in Los Angeles. You know, I was broke college student. I was on to my third year in college by then. Went there wanting to learn everything about real estate I could. And while I was there, just it ended up being one of those two day seminars where everybody there was selling seminars. <laughs> so it wasn't just Robert Kiyosaki teaching. It was, you know, Ron Legrand and Carl, like not Carl Shishit. So what's a couple other people? I can't remember, but it was, there's probably about 40 speakers total that were all real estate speakers. And even Donald Trump, believe it or not, was there. And he was a keynote speaker. Russell Simmons was there too, which was kind of cool. I've never been anything like that 20, like when I was 20 years old. And so. I got caught up in a lot of the enthusiasm, a lot of hype for real estate. It wasn't actually until a personal development seminar speaker spoke. His name is Marshall Silver. He's actually become a friend of mine, believe it or not. At that moment, 
he was talking about taking risks and how to go, you know, do something different in your life and how you could be a millionaire if you change your thinking and how, you know, you could pretty much have whatever you want as long as you're willing to go out there and do it and change your subconscious thoughts and become more personally developed. And everything he was saying was like really, really ringing to me. And for whatever reason, uh, when he told everybody to go stand up in the room and go to the back and go buy his seminar, I immediately leaped out of my seat and ran to the back and bought his, at the time, $1,500 seminar on a charge card that I had no ability to pay back whatsoever. I had maybe about like 300 bucks in my checking account. Did you really run to the back? Uh, I walked very fast, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, the, I was, I was so jacked up with energy. And this was so, if back then when I was 20, this was completely the opposite of everything that was me. When it came to taking risks, I mean, I balanced everything I had. I like, I never, my family, uh, was not wealthy by any means. We actually were very, very, very broke, uh, lower income for sure. So everything about this was like not who I was. When I put the money down for that card, I knew that I didn't have the money to pay it because with American Express charge cards it only last 30 days. It's not a credit card. I was like, shit, how the hell am I going to pay for this? But it doesn't matter. I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be rich because <laughs> right? he said I will. And so, uh, it wasn't even real estate. And so I was, I said, I, I remember running out to the, out of the, the conference room and dropping down on the floor and just writing all over a piece of paper and saying, millionaire, I'm going to do all these changes. I'm like, and I was just like going crazy with so much energy. And then after that, I was just on cloud nine. Like everything was different. Like everything was, I finally like broke some sort of major resistance in my head to like taking risks and doing something completely different in my life than what I was on track for. And at that moment, I was on track for just getting a degree, getting a normal job, pursuing what everybody thinks is the American dream at that time, whatever that might have been. And now I'm broke, but now I owe money and I'm going to go to the seminar and I had to find some way to pay for it. So I went to a different seminar that taught real estate so that way I can find a way to pay for the $1,500 charge that I just had on my card. Found a real estate seminar. It was only $900, still so much money to me at that time. And it taught how to, to do wholesaling real estate, which is signing contracts. So I put the $900 on that card. I had to figure out a way how to do that business, that real estate business, in order to pay for the charge card so I can not get creditors all over me and so forth. All those moments led me to then dropping out of college. It led me to getting into real estate. It eventually led me into getting into financial services. It led me into everything I do now. I've never worked for anybody my entire life since then. I've always been on my own as a self, either self-employed or running a company or having partners. It wasn't until that exact moment that I bought that seminar from Marshall Silver that I finally changed who I was and who I was meant to be, I guess. Great story. I mean, I think a lot of people will give you crap about going to one of those and be another person who runs to the back of the room. Either. But I mean, it's not like it was ten or $20,000, okay. right? I mean, and that's what a lot of people will do. And there's a difference between $1,500, yep. $900 and that big amount of cash. <laughs> I mean, back, I mean, this was funny, right? It's not 15, it's not 20,000. I mean, there's some real estate seminars out there that I think Fortune Builders is 20 grand, goes up to 40. Back then, right, 12 years ago during the first bubble, there wasn't really 20, 40,000 dollar real estate seminars yet. That's kind of a new thing. They were a lot of money, but the first program was usually only a thousand bucks, maybe two thousand, maybe four thousand tops. And then you got into their master coaching programs and stuff later that they charge you a, a ton of money. And it just seems nowadays that most of these programs start off at eighteen, twenty, thirty thousand because people pay it. It's ridiculous. But to me, a twenty year old who 
never had more than a thousand dollars. I never even had a thousand dollars ever in my entire life up till that point ever. I think the most I maybe had was maybe 500 bucks and at one point. So a thousand dollars, sorry, 1500 plus another thousand was ridiculously expensive to me. Like I, I never even unheard of. My car was $1,100. Even if you didn't learn anything. I mean, that $2,000 or so, it just totally changed your 20s. I mean, you just went through the 20s with a different mindset. Absolutely. It was paying for it that actually made me change who I was, believe it or not, which is kind of funny when you look back on that. So what was your worst life business moment and what did you do after? What was the lesson learned? That question always comes back to a single moment in my life. It was February of 2014. I was in a partnership with two guys that I totally cared about uh, greatly at the time. And we had been doing real estate together and a, a couple other businesses together that were all real estate related. But nonetheless, at one point during that month, like we were having a lot, we were having some challenges and I, I didn't really see the writing on the wall. Out of nowhere, the whole partnership just collapsed. And through the process of how it collapsed, it I felt like at that moment that two of my brothers basically out of nowhere, while I walked by them, they just both took knives out and stabbed me in the back. And it, it felt utterly just bad, <laughs> like really bad. It got me out of the business. Like it took me out of the business completely for about six months. During that time period, six months, I didn't really do anything. I actually just, I had an apartment uh, here in Seattle on, Al- on Alki Beach and I just, I just, played video games and drank for almost six months straight <laughs> and uh, didn't really do a lot of my life. I mean, I, I traveled very little. I went out with friends a lot and it usually had to be closer to Al-Qaeda and I just, I just didn't really do crap. It messed me up. So, but it got me to a point to make some big changes when I got back into the business through a series of events. The lessons I learned from all of our past business that we had together as a partnership during then, we also, by the way, side note, we all eventually made up and became friends again, but we just don't do business together anymore. But the lessons were like big, big to me. Like we didn't really have a solid contract together, even though we've been doing business for a while. We never really had full solid terms. So if it got to the point where we were going to go to litigation, there was I, we never did it because there was nothing really in writing. And I had no like to stand on because it was all handshakes, best friends for life, right? From here on out, like ever since that moment, and this is going on three years now, two and a half, three years ago, everything I do is in writing, like everything. And so if we do any kind of business transaction, it's always in writing. No matter what. And it just keeps contracts make honest people more honest. I mean, if you're going to be a dishonest person, it doesn't matter whether you have a contract or not. You'll just be dishonest. But still, at the end of the day, at least something's in writing. We have something to fall back on. If Lane, if you and I, you know, got into business and something and we're besties and we have a disagreement, if we have a signed contract before we even get into that business or you know, just at least sign terms or some sort of agreement before money hits the table and we have an argument, we can always go back to, Hey, what did we write in the beginning before this became an issue? We can agree to that and then we can stay friends. So it kind of keeps that friendship still there, in my opinion, because it's just we're just going to what we agreed upon before whatever this issue became. So it's that's a huge lesson for me. The other part is that stuff that happened in that business, there wasn't always a win-win situation for everybody in a lot of the deals we did. So and I never felt right about that. Going forward ever since then, it's, it's for me, it's always been win-win no matter what, no matter who a transaction's with. Everybody's got to win for it. And or else I'm just not going to do a deal. It's just made me feel like a much better person. It's made me uh, sleep better. It's made me uh, enjoy life more. And and I feel that everybody should be able to do that 
in whatever they're doing in business and so forth. Always go for win-win. I want to dig in a little bit further into setting up those contracts and structuring agreements. So, I mean, first of all, I wouldn't work with someone who's a jerk. Correct. You know, you want to work with good people who do things for the right reasons. I guess what's the first step? Do we, you know, say you and I, we were going to work together. Do we get a third party a lawyer and just like run the uh, discussion and what could go wrong and have a discussion that way? Is that kind of the first step? Uh, not for me, technically, because what if, I mean, if it's just a small business nature and stuff, then if you get lawyers sometimes involved, like if it's a big situation, like right, not to go off of a sidetrack, but partnering up with another investor right now to where we merge our companies, those are two relatively good size entities. Yeah, we're going to need an attorney to help with that situation versus, you know, we're going to go do just one transaction together. Like we're going to go flip a house together. Then no, we don't need an attorney. We just set some terms through a conversation. So to go back to your question, well, let's just ask, have a conversation about what we're looking for in this transaction and what we want. Uh, to have happen. Like if, you know, what's your role? What's my role? What's some, what's fair equity? What's not? And we could draw something up technically just on, you know, write something up on, you know, a piece of paper and stuff that we both sign. And that's usually pretty good. It's better than nothing. But if it's going to be a full on company that we're working together on and we're going to be both putting a lot of money into something that's going to go long term versus short term, then yeah, you might want to get some counsel in there. It also depends on who you're dealing with. If both people are pretty savvy business individuals, then they could kind of be their own counsel. If one's not, then they might need some help. But I don't know if that's answering your question, but that's kind of how I do it. It's let's have a conversation first and get a piece of paper out, line item what we want and what we're looking for. And if we can't come to a solid agreement, then maybe we should get a counsel or maybe we shouldn't do business together. I mean, that's the, the legal fee should be as big as the deal is. There should be some correlation between the two. Let's just say we, we were partners and you did this well and, you know, these are the things that I did well and, you know, it was a great partnership, mm-hmm. worked well. But then say six months or a year or two go down the road and I get as, just as good as what you do. How do you structure that? Because right now in the beginning, I guess we'd figure out, you know, 50% equity both ways or that would be how the profits get split. But if people aren't working or pulling their weight oh, or yeah. somebody just provides more value than the other person... What's your thoughts there? That that's a really good question because it's uh that seems to be the challenge with a lot of partnerships long term to where you know especially if it's just uh just a standard business structured partnership and not like a corporate entity to where you know two two good friends get into the business together and one person ends up in the long run doing a heck of a lot more than the other and the other person for lack of better words milking it that can build animosity uh, that can build all sorts of challenges in the business and issues and emotions and so forth. So yeah, it is, it is a problem. So the only thing that I've been able to figure out, at least on, I don't have a whole lot of partnerships. So I've had one big one that failed. (laughs) So maybe I'm not the best expert on that part, but I've had a lot of small partnerships, like individual transaction partnerships, lots and lots of those. If we lay out what we're supposed to be doing as a individual in that partnership. So in your, in this example, Lane, if you and I go into a transaction together and I say, okay, in this transaction, I'm going to, let's use real estate because I know that best. I'm going to provide the property. I'm going to provide the project management skills and I'm going to provide the construction knowledge and all this XYZ to be able to get the project done. In return, if I do those things, then that's my portion of the profit. Lane, you're in turn, you're going to bring in capital for XYZ. You're going to bring in the realtor. You're going to bring in your ability to market the property or whatever, right? And we start listing this all out. You doing those things allows you to equal to this percentage. And then somewhere in that, in that clause, you can break down what happens if the other person's not doing what they're supposed to be doing 
on their contracts. So if they're like, it comes to close and you don't bring capital into contributing, then that's automatically, that's a huge portion of the contract. So that's allows the person to not be a part of it because they're not upholding their end. So if you start doing stipulations of this is what we're bringing, this is what you're bringing. And if we do our parts, then we can have our share of whatever that equity is. Uh, and if not, then it either starts getting deducted or it gets down to zero because they're not upholding their part. If that's not written in the beginning, then it becomes a big issue later. <laughs> so that's where the animosity and challenges could come in. And same with, with any kind of business partnership. If my job's operations and uh, sales, not sales, but operations and your job is sales, you'd have your role as a sales side of the business. I'd have my role as an operations and we'd have criteria to be able to determine if we're doing our jobs. And then we definitely would have a corporate structure so it wouldn't be just a handshake partnership. So that way we'd have membership, equity, and so forth too. I've actually heard of marriages. Sometimes people will do annual renegotiations. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not up for that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's just trying their best. Everybody's trying their best. That's right. Mark of a high performer is to put your ego aside and accept the help of others and mastermind. What is something that a two-week experiment you're doing and a six-month project and maybe uh, people can reach out and help you out possibly? I was a little confused by this question just a little bit because we all have our personal goals and we have our business goals and so forth. Right now, everything business-wise is more and more and more focused on systemizing what we do, getting to a point to where I can start removing myself from the business more and more. But on a personal level, there's a lot of experiments I've been doing like with personal development lately that I started probably about going on two months now. Like I used to be a really, really not a morning person. I don't know if everybody's a morning person out there, but I definitely have not been a morning person most of my life. Oh, are you going to drop the Hal Elrod morning? <laughs> I read that stupid, I mean, that great book six months ago and it ruined my life because now I wake up at 5.30 in the morning all the time. And it's actually helped me out quite a bit. But the other, the thing that I started most probably about three weeks ago was I started meditating and I downloaded a app called Headspace. That's been helping me out tremendously as far as getting just more focused, I guess. Like it's a, and more aware and more calm. One of the challenges that I've seen out there and like the more high achievers that I meet out there, we all kind of have this common trait called anxiety. And so the, cause we just get over anxious about the future. Like a lot of high achievers focus about the future all the time that could build some anxiety up. And so not like a clinical anxiety, that's totally different, but just a normal, Hey, we're worrying about the future, but through like meditation, waking up early, doing personal development, it's allowed me to not worry about that stuff as much and be a little bit more focused on today and a lot less focus on the future. If that makes sense and more present, like with the people that I'm around more enjoying life, more appreciating today for the fact that this is what we have. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Uh, so when I'm on this podcast with you, I'm paying attention to the podcast. I'm not also not thinking about the 50 other things I got to do right after this, like just being more centered, if that makes sense. That's been helping me out a lot. So we'll see if I stick with it long term. I plan on sticking with it long term. I did it today, plan on doing it tomorrow and going from there. But as far as uh, long term projects, all my long term projects are all business related, except for one other thing. We actually finally, uh, my wife and I, we finally started planning our vacations. <laughs> we, we have a, uh, that's kind of a little side joke between her and I. We never, we go on vacations, but we never plan them. We just say, Hey, in two weeks, you want to go somewhere like, and it's kind of fun, but it gets really expensive when you do it that way. I don't know if everybody knows that <laughs> you can waste a lot of money. Just all of a sudden, I don't know where we're leaving. We started setting six month vacation goals further out. So we have something to look forward to, like a big vacation every six months, uh, where we go away for two, three, four weeks. That way we have something like big to think about versus nothing really to look forward to if you don't plan it. But business wise, 
our major goals right now over the next six months is to expand in multiple states, take what we do here in Washington and take it to another level in other parts of the United States, get it to where we can do it from afar and not have to do it from home. And I actually, from my past experience with expansions in other states, uh, you actually work less when it's out of state and real estate versus local, in my opinion, or in my experience. And I think that's been my problem the last two years is that everything I've done is, or two and a half years, everything I've done is here locally. <laughs> so I need to start getting out more. I mean, most people think that ego, oh, I'm not going to meditate. That's stupid. But hey, look, all these other people are doing it. Yep. <laughs> yep. Like, uh, look at the majority of most successful high achievers. They do some sort of meditation, even if they don't call it meditation. They have very similar structure in some way, even if it's when you're running and you're just thinking of one thing over and over again, like I'm unstoppable, I'm unstoppable, I'm unstoppable, you know, whatever, then that's, that's a form of meditation. That's a mantra kind of thing. Uh, or maybe it's you sit there and hum the whole time for an hour, which I don't do, but it could be 10 minutes, just something. Most high achievers do that. Yeah, there's also that transcendental meditation where you just repeat some weird word like yep. banana over and over <laughs> again. Or what, what I've been using is this um, Muse app. Comes with this headband, uh-huh. and you put it around your head, and it measures your alpha and beta brain waves. No way, I've never even heard of that. <laughs> That's cool. Sort of wild. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll text you at 5:30 in the morning when I wake up too, and we can talk about it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> You're gonna. You're going to disturb my miracle morning, though. I don't know. <laughs> We're going to disturb each other's miracle mornings. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Hello, Rod. <laughs> so what is your uh, simple passive cash flow number? And uh, imagine you had two times it. Describe your ideal day, detailed routine. What kind of things you'd be working on at that point? Simple passive cash flow. You know, you're not working, you're not doing anything for it versus like a lot of my mentality is building of businesses that have that passive income coming to us, but it's still going to have some sort of maintenance in it. You know, my goal is a million a month. That would just a allow us to do a lot of the things that we want to do in our lives. I also believe that, you know, you shoot for the stars and so forth. No small goals allowed. Just go for it. And then like a lot of my past, we had small goals and we always got small achievements. So have big goals and you'll get bigger achievements. As far as ideal day, I mean, for me, my entire life is based off of how do I achieve freedom? The biggest lesson I've learned by focusing so much on freedom is that if you don't know what you're going to do with that freedom once you have it, then you're screwed. You're just going to keep doing more stuff to fill that void. And it's not going to actually get you that goose egg you always wanted. You know, the book four hour work week, I read it again, uh, on my honeymoon. It talked about how, you know, which I missed it the first time I read the book where you got to plan all the things you want to do. That's not work related before you get your free time or else if you are a crazy achiever person, you're just going to fill it up with more work. I absolutely love to scuba dive. I love everything outdoors. I love extreme sports adventures, so forth. Routine wise for me, it'd be wake up early, do all this, the howl out rod, miracle morning stuff, and then get out there. If I might, if I happen to be, if we we're going to be out in the mountains that day, or it's like in this, you know, dream world, we have our, you know, ski chalet on the, on the slopes of uh, Chamonix in France or something, or up in Whistler or wherever. Then we basically wake up, strap on our snowboards and hit the door. And that's what we're doing. Or if it's in the summer, we're scuba diving on off of our boat and we're traveling, you know, we're down in the Virgin Islands or we're going, we just got back to the Glot from the Galapagos or we go down to Costa Rica or there's so many great places in the Philippines to go diving. And that's what we do. If I could live that life all the time, that would be a dream for me. And you uh, put your cash flow number as? A million a month. Okay. I thought it was a billion, but I guess <laughs> a million is enough. No. Nah, a million a month is, and this is also personal that you're talking coming in. I, I have weird 
way my brain works when it comes to money. You know, a lot of people that say that they have high net worth, but it's all built up in the equity of their house. I don't count that. Like, so like it's the million a month is money that I'm have coming into our personal well-being versus our business, if that makes sense. Now, is there a, uh, a factor of 10 and built in that or is it straight up 1 million a month? That's the 1 million a month. So something that you have recently bought or thought about burning your cash on for time savings or improvement of quality of life? I've been working on that one recently. <laughs> so for me, I want to have lots of virtual assistants. I've been writing out, we have a, we have one virtual assistant for bookkeeping, but I've been trying to figure out like a lot more ways to use VAs. And, you know, we have our employees here locally that do a lot of work, but I want to take stuff off of them and pass off the VAs more. And so I haven't really like dove into the world of VAs as much as I'd like to, but I just know I can, we could use those a lot more. But as far as like quality of life as well, uh, right now we're looking to buy a new house. One would be better with have like some sort of sauna, meditation room, that sort of stuff. We'd probably have to, and I can't buy a house that already has that. I have to buy a crappy house and make it that way. So it's going to be, a, you know, six months out for sure. I really want to, and I've been looking at buying a dive boat. Like I would love to buy a boat that we can take out on the Puget Sound and go scuba diving on, especially one that could do long trips up into Canada and so forth. And I, do, I, I like doing cold water scuba diving. Why don't you bring your boat up one day? Because I'm going to be moving to Kirkland. Oh, yeah. <laughs> get, a, get a place in uh, downtown Kirkland. I'm going to get one of those uh, infrared saunas, not like one of the regular saunas that emit that EMF wave to you. How about you come up and uh, we'll do the sauna and then we'll run down to uh, the marina there and do the polar plunge and yeah. do it a couple times in a row. Definitely. I told you. We gotta go, we gotta go all the way to the, uh, Puget Sound for sure. Cause that's where it gets nice and cold for you. Versus... Right. Well, the marina in November or December time is cold enough for me. I'm holding. <laughs> now we gotta get into the forties. Let's do it. So yeah, we'll do that. Uh, maybe we'll do that after one of those real estate meetups one day. Tony Robbins identifies two large concepts that we're continually struggling to gain perfection in. The first is the order of fulfillment and the second is science of achievement. Secret achievement to me, like if I had to look back on anything that, whether it's meeting some of the successful people I've met or myself personally, it's just really, really focusing on self-analyzation and being very objective about it and taking full responsibility for everything that happens in your life, whether it's good or bad, how you react to any of the challenges that arise from those decisions and those things that happen to you. I find that a lot of people out there, they like to blame uh, everybody but themselves for everything that's going on in their lives. They start a company and they blame the head employee that they that they hire themselves and it ends up becoming the employee's fault versus their own fault for hiring that employee or something. Or, you know, they buy a property and they don't make the profit, they lose money on the house and they blame it on the realtor who sold them the property, right? Versus the fact that they bought the property. <laughs> and so the realtor didn't make them buy it. And and if we really like go back and fully analyze ourselves like why am I here? Why am I getting the results I'm getting and why am I not getting what I want and look inwards? Then we can fix that stuff and change that stuff because anybody that says that they can't change is is just not trying hard enough and or they don't want to change. And I think that when they focus on that, they'll be able to become better people and achieve what they need. The art of fulfillment. fulfillment. Yep. Fulfillment. For me, I I actually really enjoyed helping others achieve whatever it is that they want. Like I, my entire adult life. I've never really known what I wanted as far as when people say, well, what do you want? What's your why? Like, that's always a question. What's your why? I look back, uh, I do a lot of writing and stuff for myself. And when I go back 10 years ago or five years ago, there's just constantly, there's always a question on a lot of my stuff that says, 
what's my why? What's my reason? Why the hell am I even doing any of this stuff? And I never know. Like, I, I don't know. I just like to have freedom, I guess. But I love helping other people figure out their why or something that's holding them back. So to help them achieve whatever it is that they want. So I constantly am trying to help people with that stuff. And that ends up being in real estate a lot. So I'm always helping people in real estate and I, and I enjoy it, but I also love all the outdoor stuff. So ski patrol, uh, my wife and I ski patrol up here in Snoqualmie. We actually were training medical students yesterday up here for the new candidates that were coming up. Uh, we get a lot of fun of that in the winter. That's pretty much our entire family is ski patrol and our, our, you know, chosen family is ski patrol. And we're there all the time, constantly doing that. In the summer, I used to do a lot of search and rescue, but we've just gotten too busy with work, so I don't do that anymore. And that's how I like to get back right now. There's a lot of plans that we have to be able to get back later once we've been really building up our business more. But for the time being, we're building up ourselves. Yeah, and I just also want to piggyback on that. You know, you teaching other people and mentoring other people. We've got a common friend named Nate who you kind of took <laughs> under your wing, and um, Nate. Yep. So I met I oh, met boy. Nate at earlier this year at a local real estate meeting and he came in with a frown on his face in a suit and I was asking him like why are you wearing the suit right yeah yeah <laughs> he's like you know I'm working for the man I want to do something in real estate and I was like talk to that dude Tarl right like, <laughs> definitely and he did and you helped him out and that's what it's all about right yeah Nate actually used to be my banker and so he was uh, with Chase and so I met with him a few times and he just, something was going on with him that he wanted some really big change in his life. He just didn't know what it was yet. And then I told him, Hey, go check out real estate network events. That's one of the things he met you. And then, and they just started talking to me more and more. And he was just one of those guys that I was like, man, he's not where he needs to be in life at all. And he knows it and he wants to do something about it and he just needs a push. So almost literally actually, by the way, cause he was terrified of skydiving like heights where it's like, this biggest fear in his life. So the first time I, he ever met me, I told him he needed to go skydiving. And in fact, actually three months ago, yep, three months ago, he went skydiving. <laughs> so he, uh, he went skydiving with us and he wasn't even going to jump out of the plane and he almost got pushed out, but he ended up doing it. He loved it. Uh, he wants to go again here soon. And he also quit his job at Chase with me telling him to quit his job at Chase. And, and I saw him uh, last week and he's just showing up to the meetings with a Lululemon jacket on and a smile on. Yep. And I uh, actually hired him too. So he works for me now. <laughs> so he's, uh, <laughs> he's doing good. He's doing really, really well. From what he says, he's a lot happier than he's ever really been. He's got a lot of, a lot of growth ahead of him. And I know there's big things for him in the future. Again, that's what it's all about. Any, um, thing we missed or contact information you want to get? give outs for people to get a hold of you? As far as contact, uh, a lot of people reach, if you're real estate related, a lot of people reach out to me on Bigger Pockets, and it's just biggerpockets.com backslash users backslash tarl, T-A-R-L. Also Facebook, you can reach us at our company at facebook.com backslash fixated, F-I-X-A-T-E-D-R-E, stands for real estate, fixated, F-I-X-A-T-E-D-R-E, and then our website as well, www.fixated.com re.com as far as missing anything i mean like for us it's it's all about building up that passive and i really enjoy what you've done here uh with your podcast i'm happy to be here and helping contribute as best as i can i'm not the biggest example on passive income yet and i really actually had a good time talking to you Lee. you know we climbed the ladder together and the whole thing it's not about cash flow or net worth it's something other than that it's so it's it's what you do with it in my opinion but yeah and good was it? I read somewhere, money makes good people better and bad people worse. Right. Just magnifies who you are. Yeah. There you go. All right, Tarl. 
We'll talk to you later. Cool. Thanks, man. Thanks, Lane. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.